you feel that life is just giving you more than you can handle, please realize that you are not alone. Welcome to Abba Daddy House Girls Speak Out with your hosts, the founders of Abba Daddy House, Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We're here to listen and provide help for you and others. At last, you have a place to speak out and be heard. Now, here are your hosts, Annette and Myrna. Good Friday morning. Listeners, thank you so much for your time today that you're going to spend with us. We're kind of excited about it. And we want to thank John yeah. for um, allowing us to use his office, his, his generosity for his office and internet at Major Bargains here in Cottonwood, Idaho. I'm Myrna and... Um, I think I'm Myrna. No, I'm Myrna. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm Annette. I think Annette fits you better. Uh, okay, I'll take Annette. Okay, fine. You can have Annette. Okay. All right. It's so sunny, I thought maybe my oh, brain got fried or Oh, something. I know. Sunshine twice, two days in a row. Yeah. It's awesome out here, guys. The snow is melting so quickly. And then we're leaving for Arizona, and it's mm-hmm. good. And I hear it's about 80 out there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get sunburned. I am, too. That's my plan. <laughs> Not in my, yeah. Anyway, today we welcome Sarah, the director's assistant at Chrysalis Women's Transitional Living Home in Boise, Idaho. We're going to be speaking to her about her journey to Christ and to becoming the assistant director, which is kind of neat. Yeah, to think where she came from. Oh, no lie. And how she got there. That's right. It was a miracle. God's into that. I know. Okay. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Just what we're going to do is just kind of start um, your journey um, with your childhood, and then we'll just kind of have you walk through your life, the phases of life that got you to where you are absolutely positively there today. Okay. So as a, so as a child, what? Well, so I grew up in a really nice neighborhood with a lot of kids. My mom and dad, my mom was young when she had me. She was 16. And, um, but she was a great mom. My dad was, my dad was great. We had consistency. I'm the oldest of, um, I'm the oldest out of four kids. And, you know, we just, it was, you know, the picture perfect place to grow up as a child. And, um, I grew up in Pocatello, Idaho. So, um, I had a, I was raised in a religion um, I didn't really, I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. Um, and then things were good until I w- turned 11. My parents decided to get a divorce. And it was crazy because, you know, they never fought in front of us. They never, it was always, um, they just seemed to get along up until the age of 11. And then it just, I tr- tell people it, it went from leave it to beaver to Jerry Springer. I mean, it was like, I felt like a fish out of water. Um, My mom being young, my dad being young, they kind of resorted to drugs and alcohol to ease their pain. And I ended up um, taking care of my siblings. And then I also had a little niece and nephew that were, one was a newborn and one was two. And I um, started watching them as well. And that was kind of my drug. It, it, it was my escape. I enjoyed taking care of the kids. It gave me purpose. And then when I was about 13, I started to rebel. I had met some people, kids that were a little bit older than me. They were, I was 13, they were 17. And um, mm. I started partying. I felt... Uh, 
I felt like I belonged, and I started drinking. So how did and, you feel that you belonged? Um, I just, I don't really know. They just made, I didn't feel like I had to be anybody else around them. Um, they, I kind of, since I was younger, I guess maybe it was because they were kind of like an older brother or sister to me. Maybe not the healthiest kind, but being the oldest, Mm -hmm. I didn't have that, you know, older brother or sister figure. And with my parents being around, yeah. Kind of like somebody who's finally paying attention to you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So would you say at age 11 to 13, you were, there's a word for it called parentified. You became the parent even to two yeah. little babies that weren't yours. Yes. Who, who did you grow up? Did you spend time, as you grow after the divorce, did you live with your mom, your dad, or have to move back and forth? Or how did those um, transitions go? Well, my dad kind of um, wasn't really there in the picture anymore. He was okay. to a certain point. I mean, they kind of had their struggle back and forth with one another. But I lived with my mom. I had always lived with my mom. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So, um, go ahead on, on age 13. You, the rebel came out on you. Yes, and I started drinking, and it made me feel good. It made me, I, man, it started, it, the partying, the, um, the friendships that I had, they weren't healthy, but they were friendships. Um, and just the drinking filled that void. I went from, you know, kind of being the caretaker, codependent role to um, the alcohol filling that void for me. What was the void? Um, well, now I know that it was only a hole that God could fill. Right. What did you think it was that at 13? I didn't know. I was so confused. I didn't even know who I was. You know, I... I just kind of, you know, being a teenager anyway, you're right. you're confused anyway. So on top of not really having that parental guidance, it, yeah. So sometimes kids, especially you're the oldest, did you ever blame yourself for mom and dad's divorce? No, I never did. And Good. I really... Since I lived with my mom, I really um, felt for her. I saw how hurt she was. She she wasn't really the same after that. She really loved my dad a lot. And I know my dad loved her, but she just really, I think she was lost too, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you, you found some people that mm-hmm. um, accepted you. And kind of doted over you and, and kind of put you, took you under their wings. And yeah. like you said, they weren't the, the right kind of friends, but you found the alcohol kind of filled a void. How did it fill that void? Um, I just didn't feel sad anymore. I felt, I just, cons- it was, I just felt like life should be a constant party. That's how I felt that I could fill that void. If I was alone by myself and with my thoughts, I just, it didn't feel good, and I wanted to escape that. I wanted to escape all the the hurt that I felt that I, cu- I couldn't even pinpoint what the hurt was altogether. I couldn't identify what was really going on inside of me. or um, And so it just felt better to drink and drink it away. 
And so I continued to drink, and um, I kind of, I was like a 20-year-old in his 13-year-old body. I just kind of did what I wanted to do, and um, I got into, you know, and I was trying to, I felt like, uh, you know, trying to find a boyfriend at the time, looking back on my parents and seeing how they got along and how my mom they got together when they were young, and I just wanted that kind of affection, too, and I didn't really know what that looked like. Um, I got pregnant when I was 16 years old, and... How did mom handle that one? She, well, she was really sad. She, We cried, and, you know, she just said, it'll work out. My mom, at this point, had settled down a little bit, and got remarried and so she had settled down and things were kind of back to normal as far as her being home and around at the time and so um you know she said we'll just we'll just it is what it is and we're just gonna move on and we're gonna accept this baby and so that's what we did and I felt like I didn't even think of it as um, a bad thing at the time. I was happy that I was pregnant. I felt like this was going to be my chance to start my own family and and do what and take me back to where I was when I before I turned eleven. I, kept, I think I throughout my life, looking back, I was in a lot of unhealthy relationships, and I was just trying to recreate what I had when I was younger. And that's what I wanted for my life. That's what I wanted was a husband and children and that's what I pictured my life to be when I got older. Okay. So mom and dad didn't didn't uh, have any control over you or she, they didn't pay attention or what? Because at, at that the age point, you were. I mean, at the age of 16, after, you know, running around for three years, mm-hmm. I, you know, just, I kind of was able to do what I wanted to do. At the time. And so I had my little boy and I, the relationship with his dad was just off and on. He was young too. He was only 17. I didn't know how to be a parent. I thought I knew, but gosh, when you're 16 years old, you think you know everything. And I had not that I didn't, I didn't know this at the time, but I had postpartum depression and I I was, I kind of was a depressed person at the age of 13 too. I remember my mom wanting me to get on some medication and, um, but I just thought it was me. I thought I was lazy. I thought that I was just, I didn't know it was because I was depressed or that I had a chemical imbalance in my brain. I just thought that I thought, why can't I be like those people? Why can't I get up and go to school and do my homework? And and I think that's another reason why I drank, too, was to self-medicate. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it is kind of like 2020 now, right? Yeah. Was you, um, So why didn't you go on the medication? Um, because I didn't, it, I never, I didn't follow through, you know, with the inconsistency at home and, um, things like that. I just didn't follow through on the medication or going to 
see a doctor on a regular basis. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, so that is a reason to drink. Isn't it interesting that when we drink, though, well, how did you feel after you drank? And it was all over, the hangover. Horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was horrible. But you don't think about that when you're, you don't really think about that when you're, I mean, I know now that I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic, I, mm-hmm. I drank a lot and I could, I was 13 and I could, I, I drank every single night. I could mm. drink and not get sick. And wow. so, yeah. And I mm. know now knowing a lot about addiction, mm-hmm. um, I can see that that's what it was. It was, I was an alcoholic. Yeah. Well, we're going to go to break, and then when we come back, we'll continue talking about the addiction and the woman. See you when we get back. America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a testimony of God's healing power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a testimony of God's healing power. Find it today. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4 verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to abadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. We are here today talking with Sarah, who um, at age 13 became an alcoholic and at age 16 became pregnant with her son. So Sarah, just kind of let us know that, I mean, you were, you, you said that you drank to fill the void because you felt sad and you wanted life to be a constant party because you hurt inside and you didn't know what that hurt was. 
but you hurt and alcohol helped kind of um, soothe that hurt. So could you kind of just go from there? Sarah? It was really, are you there? Can yeah. you hear me? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, with my pregnancy, it was really difficult. Of course, being 16, your body's not ready for something like right. that. You're, you're, I just mentally, emotionally, physically, it really took a toll on me. Um, and then, of course, it didn't, it, his, the father, he was 17, and so he kind of freaked out, didn't really understand what was really going on. And so I was heartbroken the whole time. He moved away to another town and <clears throat> being emotional and pregnant. And, but, you know, my mom was a big supporter for me at that time. And um, I had the baby and um, I lived with my mom and she was a big help. Um, so another big part of, well, I... My mom kind of took over. She, without, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I was 16 anyway, and I wanted freedom, but at the same time, I kind of felt like I was a sister instead of a mom. Mm. Um, my mom really was just, it was her grandson, you know, her pride and joy, right. and so I know mm-hmm. that that was a big part of it, and she wanted, and living with them, you know, she really bonded with him too, and so... I kind of went back and I did go back into my, my partying because I was heartbroken. I started drinking again and my mom started babysitting my little, Ashton is his name, my little, he's 24 now, so he's not a baby anymore. But, um, wow. So I started uh, going out and drinking still continuously and that's mm-hmm. what I, at the time, I didn't realize why I couldn't stop, but now I know that it was, again, because I was an alcoholic Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, soon after Ash, how soon after Ashton's birth did you go ahead and return? Um, it was probably about three months later. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so he was little. Soon. And, um, and then his dad came back into town, and um, he started kind of bonding with my son. And because my mom was kind of, overbearing, we decided we wanted to move to Boise where his, his cousins were and we went to a, a family reunion on his side and they said, you know, come up to Boise and we'll let it, you live with us and you guys can get on your feet. And so we thought this was a good idea. You know, we'd move up here to Boise and um, start adulting and, um, and, and try to do this the way um, people do with you know, if they actually plan on, have a plan for getting married and and having children. So we moved up here and things were going good for a while. But again, we were young, um, still a lot of drinking involved. I was a good mom. I really do feel like I was a good mom at that time. There's, you know, further along in my story, there's a lot of things that I regret. But I I feel like I was a good mom at the time. Um, drinking aside, but I I got pregnant again, and we had a little, another little boy, and we were together for quite a while. Of course, having two little ones, and but you know the drinking continued. Um, did his yeah, dad um, drink too? Yes, he did. Mm. He was 
he was you know he was a drinker and he also smoked marijuana and and mm-hmm. things like that but and at that time I was totally anti-drug I didn't like drugs at all I didn't consider mm-hmm. I thought oh alcohol's okay you know I justified alcohol but at the time I was just totally anti-drug and didn't ever want to do drugs and well alcohol is legal right yeah yeah and so I, you can justify it yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, so he did drugs. you know, what's that? I said he did drugs and you drank. Yep, yep. Okay. Um, gosh, there's so much to my story. It's like <laughs> um, this is kind of when things just really started unfolding. So we ended up splitting up. Um, I continued to drink. I got into another relationship and we had a son. And he was my best friend. Um, and I really tried at this point. I had, I had three boys and I was working. I, I had a really good job at the time. I was working as a mental support program coordinator in an assisted living home. I took care of the Alzheimer's patients during the day. Oh, oh wow. And yeah, and I was, I felt really good about myself. I, you know, had my own place. I was a single mom and taking care of the kids. Drinking was still a part of my life. And uh, when my little boy, my third little boy, when he was 17 months old, his dad had moved to California to uh, start working at a factory down there to save up money. Things weren't really going well for him here, so he thought, I'm going to go down there and and save up money so that I can come back. And, you know, he just wanted to make sure he could provide for, for me and my son. And so he would send us money. Well, he ended up getting hit and killed by a car up there. Oh, oh, my goodness. When, yeah, when my son well, was 17 months old. That's sad. Well, we're going to take real, a break real quick, and we'll come back and finish that story okay. when we come back. <laughs> wow. Okay. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. Find it today. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel.
You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to abadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. So Sarah was telling us about her youngest son. Was it his dad was was going to go down to California, get some money, and send it back to them and, and get things started. And unfortunately, he was killed by um, a vehicle that had hit him. Is that correct, Sarah? Yes, yeah. That, That's so sad. So, yeah, so. it was really, um, it was, and I had just enrolled in college at the time, too. I enrolled at BSU, and so it was just so devastating to, he was my best friend, and it was very unfortunate, and I, I didn't really know how to handle it. And I ended up, my grandma was a big part of my life, too. I guess I should say my grandma, my mom's mom. She was always that person that left me unconditionally, and she was always there um, when I needed somebody to talk to. And, and she had grown uh, very close to uh, my little boy's dad as well. Mm. He helped her out a lot, you know, driving her. She had neuropathy in her feet, and he'd drive her back and forth from Pocatello to Boise to visit us and spend time with us. And mm-hmm. so it was really hard on her, too. So I went up to California, and we, you know, had his service and everything, and my grandma paid for my ticket up there. And when I came home, um, I he died on November 13th and then my grandma, she was only 63. She ended up dying two weeks later. Oh my goodness. Sudden. Yeah. And so those two things just, you know, they were, it was devastating to me. And at the time I, I mean, of course I kept drinking. I ended up not, I took a complete withdrawal. I was, I got it. I took a complete withdrawal from BSU I just couldn't handle it mentally. I didn't really know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I was 20 years old when that all happened. Mm. Yeah. That's and a then, lot for a 20-year-old to handle. Yeah. I mean, everybody has, everybody, I know everybody's gone through, you know, some kind of trauma or sorrow in their life. And for me, it was, the way I dealt with it was going back to drinking and, um, of course, then I turned 21, and that didn't help matters. No, because now you can, when, you can go out legally, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, and that partying and that escape was, um, that's what I went back to. And so my kids were with babysitters a lot of the time. I would show up to work late. Um, so, so what age did you start doing drugs? Um, when I was 20, so when I turned 21, I, I started going to the bars a lot. I was out all the time, never really got into drugs at that point. But then I got into a really abusive relationship with, um, I, w- I ended up getting into an abusive relationship at the time. It, it felt good. He was like a father figure to my kids, but he drank too. We met at a bar and, um, it became a really abusive relationship and, I quit working. I got, I became isolated. We moved to a little town where I was isolated and um I ended up having we had two children 
this was a five-year relationship. Um, and so after I had my daughter, she was my fifth. She, uh, I got addicted to pain pills. And so I think I was about maybe 24, 25 when I got addicted to the pain pills. And I was like super mom when I had them. Mm. I could do anything. My house was clean. Why were you taking the pain pills? Um, well, I, well, after I had my daughter, I, you know, I'd been on pain pills before when I had my children, you know, when I had my other kids, but okay. I think it just, it was just, a, I don't know. It just made me feel good. It made me feel better. Um, and so, and of course not drinking, I don't know what it was, but I got addicted to them okay. at that time. Okay. Yeah. So you had had them before, but this was, this was it. Yeah, it was different okay. this time. It, it made different. me feel really good. Okay. And I and you said, I had... Go ahead. No, well, you said you had a clean house. Oh, yeah. I was super mom. I had... I, here I am, you know, this young girl in an abusive relationship. And I'm not blaming... I'm not trying to make excuses for my actions. But, you know, this was my situation and this is how I coped with it. So, mm-hmm. you know, being... A mother, a young mother with five kids and an abusive relationship where, you know, we were really struggling. We lived in a two-bedroom trailer with all these kids, and uh, those pain pills just made me feel good. I could, I, they gave me energy. I could, the house was clean, the kids were fed, everything was just, it was perfect. I felt like I was the mom that I needed to be, but when I didn't have the pain pills, I was worthless. You know, I was in bed. I was going through withdrawals. This is when my kids really started to suffer because I, you wouldn't probably want to leave your fish with me at the time. I couldn't get out of bed. I'm not kidding. It was horrible. I thought maybe you were going to say you'd feed the fish pain pills. (laughs) No, no. But, you know, I I couldn't, I was incapable of taking care of anyone or anything Mm -hmm. is what I should say. No, I was just kidding with you, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what, what happened then? You said you were incapable of taking care of yourself or your children. Yeah, so um, my, my, the father, my the father, of my boyfriend at the time. Never, I've never been married actually, but um, my boyfriend ended up going to prison, and so I was in this house with these kids, and I tried to get on my feet. I tried to get a job, but if I didn't have the pills, if I had every single, all of my time, all of my energy, all of my money, everything went to looking for opiates to feed my addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my main source of, that's where all my energy went. And so, again, my kids suffered greatly. My mom, luckily, thank goodness, lived a couple doors down from me. So she lived really close. My kids could escape and go over there. The, my little boys could go over there. And, and um, so my mom started to, she was like, this is it. You need to get help. Um, I'm taking the kids, and I need you to get up, get help. I don't know what that looks like for you, but these kids can't live in this situation anymore. And I, could, I couldn't agree more. Um, I felt like a failure, but at the same time, you know, it was still that chasing of those opiates and not knowing how to get off of them. I didn't know there was really help out there, like any kind of 12-step program or anything like that. Um, it was just something that I thought that I could stop, 
and I couldn't. So I ended up moving out of the trailer and put all my stuff in storage, and I enrolled in college again and got into, I, I got into another unhealthy relationship. I mean, this is insanity at its finest. You know, I mm-hmm. right. kept doing the same thing over and over again, you know, expecting different results with all these different relationships. And, oh, this is it. This is the one. This is where I'm going to settle down and live the rest of my life happily ever after. Um, so I, at that point, I tried drugs for the first time. So I was about 28 years old, and I tried cocaine for the first time and it wasn't really all that great to me but it got me off of the the pain pills and so I don't know you just I just kept justifying my actions you know right. well, it'll take me off um, and then shortly after that I tried meth for the first time and I loved it I felt I it ruined my life. It took me down this downward spiral really, really quick. I dropped off the face of the earth. My mom didn't know where I was. My children didn't know where I was. They only knew I was alive if they saw my face on the Ada County roster. Um, and, I mean, I just went into a deep, dark place, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It took everything. It took all of the guilt and shame that I felt. Um, over what I had done to my children, it took it away. I didn't have to feel it anymore. I didn't have to face it because this drug just took over. It took my soul. The meth took over. Yeah, it and the children with your I, mom. Your your children were with your mom at that point, right? Yes. Okay. Thank goodness. So my kids were safe. Right. Um, and the two older boys. They lived with their dad, which, okay. you know, he really turned his life around, and he's been, I don't know what they would have done without him if he wouldn't okay. have, did, yeah. Did you realize when you was taking the meth, did you have enough sense to realize it was taking you down, that yeah, it was ruining you? I did, but it was like I couldn't breathe a sober breath without feeling like I wanted to die, because... I loved my children so much, and I all I ever wanted was to be a mom and be a housewife. I wanted that what the thing that I had when I was younger with my my parents. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't think about it. It was just this crazy bondage, like I was a slave to it. I didn't if I didn't have it, I had to feel things, you know, and. Yeah. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I couldn't do it for my children. I thought, you know, what kind of a person are you? You can't even, your kids are, I loved my children more than anything in the world and they couldn't keep me sober. Not, nothing. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't stop. I wanted to stop. So that hopelessness that you had inside you, you were burying with the mess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So you had, you had, you had the void, and you filled it, tried to fill it with alcohol, mm-hmm. and all along, you, you tried to fill it with different relationships, because oh, you yeah. have, you know, repetitive relationships, like you said just a little while ago, that, you know, maybe this is the one, this is it, it mm-hmm. this is the guy, and so you had, you had alcohol, you had drugs, and you had relationships, three things. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. ever do pot? Yeah, but I didn't like it. It wasn't yeah. for me. <laughs> so what is it, it about the trick? What is it about meth that um, 
that you fell in love with? It took, it just took over. I don't even know how to explain it. All I can say is that it took my soul. It took over everything. It, I didn't feel anything while I was on it. I, I mean, it wasn't, it was another abusive relationship. It was a relationship. It was one of those. It, it was, was a Satan's beautiful control. Life. Yeah. Yep. And I just, I don't even know really how to explain what it, what it does. It just took away the hurt. It took away anything. It took away all the feelings that I ever had to feel or I don't know how to explain it. It I turned just, you into a mummy. Yeah. yeah Not a mommy, a but a mummy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Isn't that what Satan promises? If you just do one, it'll it'll take everything away. Just yeah. one hit. Mm-hmm. So you were in the abusive relationship. You were a relationship with the man and a relationship with meth. What happened? Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, uh, I got arrested. And what? what did I, you get huh? arrested for? What did you for get possession. arrested for? Yeah, okay. for possession of meth. I went to jail, and I, at that time, so let's see, I was 30 at this time. I went to jail, and there was nobody get, that was going to bond me out, and I stayed there for four months, and I was sober finally and I felt really good and there were other people in jail that were praying and having Bible studies and so I started praying and I started joining them for Bible studies and looking back I think those prayers were that was the opening for Jesus to come into my life you know Mm -hmm. Um, did you know about Jesus before that I did but I didn't have a personal relationship with him like I said I was raised in a religion um, but it wasn't, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It was a head knowledge and not a heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Man-made laws. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so I, I'd never felt better in my life. I started doing Bible studies. I was praying. Um, I got accepted into drug court here, and I just felt like I was going to do this. My kids started talking to me again on the phone. They were writing me letters. I felt like I was on top of the world. Um, And so when I got out, I just expected everything back the way it was, handed to me on a plate, like, hey, I've been sober for four months. I need everybody back in my life, and it wasn't like that. You know, they, they had lost I had burned my bridges. I nobody really mm-hmm. trusted me. And looking back mm-hmm. on it, of course, of course they wouldn't. Right. So, did um, you didn't understand was, that then, right? No. Mm. Hmm. Because you knew what you were feeling, but you had to prove the trust. Yeah. So did you prove it? Yeah. Um, but but first. <laughs> Um, I fell flat on my face when I got out. I didn't have anybody to pick me up from the jail, so I I called people. They hung up on me. Um, and so it was like instantly I went back to where I was before. And that's what happens a lot now looking back and being part of Chrysalis. 
a lot of people that are drug addicts, they go to jail, they go to prison, and then they have nowhere to go but back to the place they came from, back to the chaos, exactly. back to the drug. Yep. That's so what that's we where tried I went. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's so where I re- went. went. To relapse. Yeah. And, but, you know, God uses everything for good because when I did, I um, met a lady that let me live with her. She was also using at the time. She's now one of my best friends, but um, her, her dad was a pastor at, um, he had been a pastor, and so she was raised and, and knew who Jesus was. And I, ta- I started talking to her about him, and she, I felt like she was a hard-to-reach person in a hard-to-reach place to reach hard-to-reach people, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, so she talked to me about Jesus, and I just told her, I, I don't hear him. I don't know what you're talking about. I, you say that God said this to you or you, or this or that, but I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't know that. I don't hear him. And she just said, it's not an audible, audible voice. It's that little, it's just, you just have to listen. You know, you just have to listen. And I was like, I don't know how to listen. And she told me one time that she said, you know, I've been mad at God before and I had a big long yelling match with him and I yelled at him and I was mad at him and um, but it gave her later on you know she talked to me about how that helped her in the long run but anyway so I had gone to a bar I was walking home at three o'clock in the morning it was snowing outside it was freezing cold I didn't have socks on I didn't have a coat Mm. running from the law and I remember I thought I don't even know if I actually I felt weird doing it but at that time I just looked up in the sky and I just said, okay, God, if you're there, I need you to show me. I need you to talk to me the way I can understand. And I kind of yelled at him. I kind of felt weird doing it, but I did it. (laughs) And did he yell back at you? Yeah, he did, because my life got really, really bad, really, really quick, really miserable. I think, you know, God was saying, okay, all right, I'm going to talk to you, but I'm going to tell you that I don't like the place you're at. And so um, I ended up going back to jail, and when I got out the second time is when I really started to, to do better. I, I went through drug court. It took me two years to graduate, but I had mm-hmm. my children back in my life and my, my mom, but I still was white-knuckling it, and I still didn't understand. So I went to Chrysalis for the first time then, and, but I still tried to fill that void with relationships. I, you know, I had started to learn about Jesus and the, the love he had for me at Chrysalis, but I still mm-hmm. put these relationships before him. I didn't know my worth. I didn't know my identity in Christ. And so I went back and forth to Chrysalis three different times before this last time. And, you know, but they planted that seed for me. Right. And what? We're going to go to break, and then we'll come back and finish this up and and talk about what happened while she was in Chrysalis. Thank you. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Abba Daddy House Incorporated was founded by Myrna Thatcher and Annette Smith. We provide pro bono counseling for those caught in the insurance gap. 
We also provide basic needs for those who have great difficulty making it from one month to the next. Donations for expanding our business are always appreciated. Remember Philippians 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Visit AbbaDaddyHouse.org. Look for Annette and Myrna's book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. The book elucidates the journey of how Annette Smith gained healing from living as a child and other people. The book is available through Amazon.com in both paperback and Kindle formats. Anyone who is looking for guidance from God and feeling that life is hopeless should read this book, Turning the Curse into a Blessing, a Testimony of God's Healing Power. Find it today. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Abba Daddy Girls Speak Out. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to abadaddyhouse7 at gmail.com. Now, back to Myrna and Annette. You know, sometimes when you ask God to take over, he does. And sometimes yeah. it's Imagine it, that. it's like, oh, oh, I did that. I don't want to do that because now God really took over and he opened some doors up for Sarah. Sarah, you had been in jail, what, twice? And, and took two years to get at, go through drug court. And drug court is a good thing because it does hold you accountable. You've been through mm-hmm. chrysalis, what, three different times? Yeah, I never graduated. I just, I always left. One time I left a month after being there and then, you know, it's an 18 month long program. So, and then one time I was there for a year, but I didn't make it. And then one time I was there for one night and left. Uh, <laughs> so That one you yeah. made. Right. <laughs> um, and so I have so many things to tell you guys because I need to get to the good part where I get to glorify God. Okay, um, go for it. So I had pretty much through that time, uh, being in Chrysalis three times and after graduating drug court, I learned a lot from being in drug court. I learned a lot about my addiction. So it made it worse when I went back out. I ended up relapsing. And, of course, I think this was more devastating to my children than me going out in the first, the first time because I finally gained their trust back. Mm. And, um, and here I was, again, letting them down. And so yeah. uh, I had done this for, you know, I was sober, relapse, sober, relapse. And then I ended up getting in trouble again in 2013. I got arrested, and I, I went to jail for a little while, got out, didn't have it, any kind of foundation underneath me as far as God goes. I let go of that. I, um, but looking back, he was there the whole entire time, and I did, I did cry out to him quite a few times throughout that because I really did want to stop at the time. I didn't want to do it anymore, and... Um, so then I ended up running again, and I was, let's see, 38 at this time. I just decided this is it. I gave up. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to get sober. There's no hope for me. I'm going to die this way. This is my fate. I had meth-induced schizophrenia by this time, mm. and I knew I was crazy. I didn't think that I would ever recover from that, and I just thought I hadn't seen my kids in three years and I just, this is my fate. My children are only going to know me as the drug addict, the crazy drug addict that died in the streets of her addiction. And I remember sitting in this 
trailer and I was all by myself and I finally just said, it's going to take divine intervention. It's going to take an, I mean, divine intervention is the only thing that's going to save me from this pit of death and despair. And I just said out loud, God, you've got to help me out of this because I can't do it on my own. And I think that was finally my bottom. It was finally my bottom where I realized I cannot do this on my own. And so I was, it was a couple days later, I started getting really sick. And I got really sick. Like, I don't think if I would, if I would have stayed in there another week, I probably would have died. Um, But I was listening to the secular playlist on um, one of my, my music playlists and um, I heard this song come on and I'm like, I don't remember putting this song on my playlist. And then I, I was like, what is this song? And so I started listening and it sounded like the lead singer from Mercy Me. Mm. And I thought, what and how in this, I didn't even know what the song was. And I just felt like there was this presence, the Holy Spirit. I just felt it there with me. It was like a heavy blanket on me. And I heard, you need to listen to this. And so I started listening to the words, and it said, you, um, you're beautiful. I pray that you have the heart to fight because you're more than what's hurting you tonight. You are made for more than this. And I knew without a doubt that that was God saying, mm. here I am. You know, this is your mm-hmm. chance. Get up and get out of here. Mm-hmm. So I called a friend. They picked me up. They um, fed me. I went to jail. I surrendered. Um, I, I turned myself in, and I went to prison. Um, I, I've been sober ever since, but when I was in prison, I, I was bound and determined to, I was not going to leave him at the door again, like I mm-hmm. had over and over and over again. So I started reading the Bible. I knew where I was going to go. I was hoping that Chrysalis would take me back. I was scared to death to get out again, not knowing where to go or not, I didn't want to go back to the lifestyle that I had. And so of course, Chrysalis accepted me back with open arms. And so I just really soaked in the word. I went to Chrysalis. I promised God that I wouldn't be in a relationship for a year. And that was a big commitment to me. I was like, oh my yeah. goodness, I don't know if but I did. I said, okay, God, mm-hmm. one year. And I had tunnel vision and I fixed my eyes on Jesus. And I learned about who I was in Christ at Chrysalis. And they loved me. They showed me the love of Jesus here. And they, you know, I did Bible studies and I learned boundaries and I learned about safe people and all of these different lifestyle changes that needed to take place. I got involved with Celebrate Recovery. They, you know, had me get involved in a church where now I'm a leader at that church. And so it's been my cocoon. That's what chrysalis is. It's a protective mm-hmm. state of a butterfly. And so I have been the house manager there for, for three years, and I just feel like this is my calling. God took my mess and turned it into a message and my test into a testimony. That's one of my favorite things to say. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I get to, I, am, I know where the girls are coming from. I know, and I can show them how wonderful God is because he, he brought me back to life. And mm-hmm. I'm, I now, I have four years clean and sober. I'm still not in a relationship. I wear a ring on my, my left, my, you know, wedding finger or whatever that is. Right. <laughs> Um, because I, that's my promise. Yeah, that's my promise to Jesus. And I feel like my whole life, I put men and drugs before exactly. my children. Mm-hmm. And the only man that I'm going to put in front of my children ever again is Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
well, he's not really, you know what I mean, but. We understand what you mean. You have your priorities (laughs) set correctly. Yeah. God first and everything else comes after that. He knows the desires of my heart. That's right. And at one time, Jesus was fully man. Yes. Yes. So you can't say the only man you'll put before your kids is Jesus because he knows what it's like to be fully human. And so he understands you. Yes, he does. If you, what is the one thing you have learned through your whole, from all of your life experience? What is the one thing that you have learned? I learned that Jesus was with me through the whole entire time. I learned that he did have a purpose for my life. And regardless of the choices that I made, he always had a plan. He always had a plan. After every bad choice I made, he had this plan for me. And... I know he, that he is everything to me now. He's that void that, he's that hole yep. that, or the, you know, the thing that, I, it was the the God hole. It was a God hole that exactly. needed to be filled with him and him only. And he is everything to me. He's my best friend. He's a father. He's, he's that husband. Exactly. I, you know, I get everything that I need from him spiritually. I'm filled with his joy and hope and and now I get to go out and serve others the way he did. Yeah. So, uh, in the <clears throat> so what do you think? Um, so that's what you would would say. What would you what 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 would you say to someone who is where you were at? Um, I would say, why not try? Just call out to God. Just ask okay. Him to show you. You know, my relationship with Him is different yeah. than yours or anybody else's. And so just ask him, you know, seek and you'll find, and you'll look, just give him a chance. What do you have to lose? Just Uh ask him to show, you know, just ask him into your heart. Mm -hmm. How does someone do that? Surrender and just, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to be completely uh at my bottom and just surrender and know that exactly. he is the only thing that can change my life. And he will talk to you. He pursues us. He loves us. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He's just waiting. He's waiting exactly. for you to ask him, God, I can't do this. Please show me who you are. And he'll show okay. you. He'll show you who he is. Never fail. Right. Right. Well, Sarah, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we appreciate you spending this time with us. Listeners, I hope you appreciate her story. And if someone's out there that needs this help, there is. Um, Chrysalis is in Boise, Idaho. Right. And um, Sarah, I believe we need more chrysalises. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, can you just quickly give a phone number, Sarah, that they can call? Yeah, so the office number here is 208-424-1323. And even if you get on Google and you just, uh, punch in Chrysalis, Idaho, it will pull up our website. It's Chrysalis okay. Women's Idaho, and it will show where to get help on there as okay. well. Okay. And we're going to close now, because, and we want to thank everybody for listening, and you guys all have our contact numbers and stuff and and our emails and stuff, so write us, talk to us, and listen to us next Friday again. And we thank you for listening to us today. So thanks we'll see you next for Thanks. And we'll see you next Friday.
Thank you for being here this week. Be sure to join hosts Annette Smith and Myrna Thatcher for another edition of Abadaddy Girls Speak Out next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Enjoy the upcoming weekend.